so we come to God's Word this morning, and this is where we really need to focus. And uh, I'm going to be really open and honest with you in every way. I'm never not that, I don't think, but uh, I'm going to be really open. There is a hardness in this Word this morning, as well as a challenge and a softness. And uh, as I've um, worked with it over the week and prayed over it, I really do believe that God wants to speak into a number of our hearts this morning. And uh, I want to just read you the first part of uh, the, the, the passage. Uh, for whatever reason, Alan began halfway through the passage, and I just want to read to you the first few verses, because they are important within the context of what is going on here. So it actually is 1 Peter chapter 5, and I'm just going to read uh, up to verse 5, because I believe that's where Alan picked up. Peter says this, "'The elders who are among you I exhort.'" I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by constraint, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so that's the uh, whole reading and what Alan uh, read from there as well. I see this reading is in many ways divided into three sections. It talks about our leaders, the elders. Uh, it talks about their role and their position within the life of the church. And I want to share something about that. It then talks, uh, as Alan rightly said, not just about the younger people, and I don't quite know where in biblical terms that line is drawn. My guess will be anybody under 70 is young, because when you're 70, you're then in grace anyway. So, uh, you know, uh, from that point of view. So as far as I'm concerned, this is for everybody, okay? It may be specific for some of the young men, and I do hope some of the young men will take it on board, maybe at a slightly different angle. But it is for all of us. And it's also, of course, at the heart of it uh, about what it means to be church together and what it means to be church under Christ. And that's the thing that I want and hope and pray that we will pick up this morning, that this is under Christ, uh, that we are all under Christ and under His love and under His hand. And I think if we grasp that, if we understand that, that can have a dramatic change in our lives. I know what we would all say, or at least many of us would say, uh, that we are followers of Jesus, that we are disciples, we're on the road, we're seeking to be more like Jesus. And that's great. But the big challenge, and I don't think I'm that unusual, the big challenge for me is to live under that lordship day by day. That's the challenge when life throws what it does at each one of us when we have to respond and react to different situations, that's when the challenge of the Lordship of Jesus makes its greatest impact on our lives. And most, and I'm saying this in very general terms, most of the fallouts that you see, whether they be in church 
or out of church, whether they be Christians in work or in their families, whether it be marriages or not, and I'm being very careful what I say, hear my heart lovingly in this. It's usually because we're not living under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I told you it would be hard, and I apologize for that, but I can't get away from the Word of God. The background of this is, is this. Peter is writing to people who are finding it difficult to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ in the situation they are in. It's the beginning of persecution. Things are tough. It's difficult to honor Christ in all the different situations that they're in. And 1 Peter particularly addresses that situation and seeks to help them to understand how they can live in the strength of Christ and live under his patience, with his patience, and in holiness, honoring him. And, you know, although that was written, and uh, as far as we can tell from the manuscripts that we have, it was written around about the beginning of 60 AD. That's a long time ago. That's as relevant today as it was 60, back in 60 AD. We still struggle at least if I'm on my own, I might preach to myself. You know, we're on, we still all struggle at times to live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to receive his patience, to know his holiness, to know what it means to be like Jesus in a particular situation. And so, as we look through this passage and just look at it in three very simple sections, I hope the Holy Spirit will speak to you and minister to you. You may need to repent as I preach. Do it. Don't wait till the end of the sermon or anything else. Say, God, I am sorry I've fallen on that particular issue. Please forgive me and set me free from whatever the consequences are of that sin in my life. There's always consequences to sin. And so that's the, that's the background and the context of it. And within the, the sense of the journey that the church is on, and we're looking at Jesus and certain names of Jesus and roles that he had, the title over today was Jesus, the Chief Shepherd. So the whole understanding of being a shepherd falls right into what this passage is about. And uh, right from the beginning uh, there, it is to do with that shepherd hand upon us and what it means to be in the flock where Jesus is the shepherd that is being challenged here. The, the word shepherd, and I'm sure you've all heard this before in the original language within the context of both the Old and the New Testament, means the same thing. It means to tend, to feed, to guide, to be vigilant in watching over and being attentive to one another and to where we are at in life. And it's a very powerful word within the analogy that the Scripture draws between Jesus, our shepherd, who has that care over us, and we, his flock. That is how he is with us. Tender, he wants to feed us, he wants to guide us, he wants us to know the vigilance we need to have 
in following him and being obedient to him day by day. The words in the language of the Bible are, there's an overlap, and we need to understand that in order to understand this passage, between the context of a shepherd, but also what the Bible talks and what we read about as bishop, overseer, and elder. They all interlink in some way. They're all in one way expressing the same thing, and the Bible uh, really uses them in, in, in not separate ways, but we need to see each role within the mixture of the other role. Some commentators would say that when the word elder is used, it's not so much those who are elderly, but they are those who are mature in the things of God, whatever age they may be. It could apply to age, but there's a, there's a you know, they don't all agree on that, and the general feeling is it's to do with spiritual uh, maturity and where you are on the journey. So the first thing that I need to say uh, within this context is this, that within the first four verses, we are told that we are to be shepherd-like. We're to be like shepherds. This is for the elders particularly. And within that context, I'm using that as bishop, overseer, elder, pastor. They all link together. They are to be shepherds of God's people. And within that area, I think we need to remember that one of the names that is given to God within the Old Testament, and uh, it applies to Jesus in the New Testament, is that he is our shepherd. In the Old Testament, it's referred to as Jehovah Ra, R-A-A-R. -A -A -R. He is our shepherd. And immediately, I hope you're thinking of Psalm 23, because that is the shepherd psalm. And it talks about Jesus' role as our shepherd. Within the New Testament, there are four specific uh, ideas that are there concerning Jesus' shepherd-like nature over you and me. And uh, the first one we read about in John chapter 10 and 11 comes from the very voice of Jesus himself. He is our good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And the general understanding is this, that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's all to do with his role in redemption. That he actually went to the cross for all of us and for all in mankind. He went to the cross that all who ever believe in him might be saved and become truly children of God. But let me tell you something. I lived for 26 years believing he died for everyone, but never heard in my ears that he died for me. What a difference. Not a general truth, but a specific truth that changed my life in 1974. You could name your date when that became something that you were aware of. Or maybe, dear friends, there's somebody here this morning who still knows that God in Jesus died for everyone, that they might be redeemed. But you haven't heard that when he was on that cross, what we've sung about earlier today on Calvary, arms outstretched, 
pierced side. You, your name was on his hand. That's one of the roles of Jesus in the New Testament. The second one is this. He is our great shepherd, Hebrews 13 and 24 to 24. Beyond death, he rose majestically into new life in order that he might continue to care for the sheep in this new life, this eternal life that was born in him when God raised him from the dead and he burst out of the tomb and appeared to the disciples and many hundreds of other people as well. And that really is the message of resurrection. And, and the personal application for us is when we are redeemed, there is a truth that we are already living in eternal life. And that should make a difference to how we live our lives. The freedoms that we have down here, the freedom to be obedient to God in what he calls us to do is attached to the fact that we know whatever happens to us will be with him. And that's how we should live. The third one is this. He is the shepherd bishop, 1 Peter 2, chapter 1 Peter 2, verses 24 and 25. He is the one who restores us, who heals us, who makes us to be whole sheep in his presence. And then there is this in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verses 1 to 4, where he is named as the chief shepherd. Archipumian is the Greek word. It's never used anywhere else concerning Jesus. He is a shepherd above every other shepherd. He is above all. And the under-shepherds, those who take on roles of leadership within the church, are always accountable to him. And this is the reward. The reward is what it says there in, in verse 4, the crown of glory that does not fade away. There are rewards in heaven for how we live out what God calls us to do down here. Now, you can't look at this passage without thinking within the context of church, who are the people in these roles? And it would be true to say from a biblical perspective, if you would accept it from me, that Jesus is the chief shepherd of NCBC. Mark is our under-shepherd. But he's our under-shepherd who the Bible also tells us is responsible for the care of your soul and my soul. Our journey of faith, our journey of obedience, our journey of surrender, our journey of living out the Christian life is part of Mark's responsibility. Oh, how we need to pray for him. And let me say this, and I've struggled over this in prayer again this morning. Should I say it? Shouldn't I say it? I'm going to say it because I have no peace without saying it as this. That tells me that all of us not only are responsible for praying for Mark and the other elders, I will include that in as well, but we also need to be extremely careful what we say about them. Sorry, it's tough. Sometimes we can criticize. Sometimes we can gossip. Sometimes we don't understand the pressures that a pastor is under. I once went to a meeting, and I was just two or three minutes late for a meeting of a church. And one of the leaders in the church got up to me and said with the fiercest of voices, you're late. You should never be late. You should be giving the example. 
I couldn't say a word because an hour before the meeting, I'd been called out to a disastrous marriage situation. People well known in the church. And I, I was sworn, wouldn't say it anyway, to confidence. And I had to take the barrage because I couldn't share where I'd been. We need to be careful, dear friends. We can release through our lips, publicly or privately, things that can damage the life of the church. When we don't recognize that our under-shepherd, the one who is under the chief shepherd, stands before God, responsible for each one of us. One of the things that terrifies me within the context of being a, a church member is this, that story, and I'm not going to go into the detail of it, you can read it yourself, in Numbers chapter 12, and the first few verses there, where Aaron and Miriam criticize Moses. It's tough. God wouldn't have it. Miriam ended up with leprosy. Moses had to stand and intercede that she should be released from it because God said, he's my anointed. He's not perfect. He didn't get into the promised land, but he's my anointed. Deal carefully with him. Use your words wisely when you talk to him and even about it. And that applies, I believe, to all who are placed in leadership within the church. One of the people who influenced my life more than anybody else within the context of my journey in ministry is a guy called John Garlock. He's now in glory. He was a missionary in Africa and then became a very internationally known Bible teacher around many countries of the world. And one of the things he said to our class once, he said, never. Never, 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 never talk about anybody and certainly never talk about a leader in the church in a gossipy or a critical way unless your eyes are filled with tears. Because you set yourself up when you do that. Jesus is our chief shepherd. That's what these first four verses are about. It's saying you live in that structure. This is how the church operates. No, I'm not saying that I believe in shepherding. I don't believe that. But I believe we need to be careful in how we relate to one another. And out of that basis will come the reward that God gives us in glory. There was, some years ago, uh, an evening event in London, and there was a, it was a very select event. There were actors and people who were well known, but along also because of a contact with a contact was an old retired clergyman. And as the event went on, you may have heard this story, it's a true recorded story, is that somebody said to one of the most famous actors who was there, give us a recitation. And this actor said, well, I'm not prepared, but I'll give a recitation. He said, as long as this happens, that when I've finished, 
the old clergyman gets up and gives a recitation too. The actor got up, he stood at the front, he was well known, and in a very English voice that I'm not going to replicate and I'm not going to go through it, he sung out, as it were, in words and eloquently, the 23rd Psalm. Oh, it was powerful. Everybody got up and clapped and everything like that. They thought it was marvelous. And then he turned to the clergyman and he said, what about you? And this dear old clergyman came to the front, could barely look at the people. And he recited the 23rd Psalm as well. And every person in the room was in tears. It changed their lives. You see, when the anointing is there, and when the person has been called by God, when their heart is right before Him, then the Spirit of God is released to change, transform, and make new. Because that person knows, and I believe that clergyman knew, and I'm saying this publicly, I know and believe that Mark knows. Ultimately, he's accountable to God for my soul and your soul. We need to understand what it means to be shepherd-like, to be like the chief shepherd, who even when he was accused before Pilate and by the Pharisees and the Jews, didn't say a word, but took the rejection upon himself. The second thing I want to say is this, that that passage, and Alan pointed it out to us in verse 5, in my Bible it says, likewise, I think in the version that we might have been on there, it said, as well as that, or something like that. And literally the commentators say, this means that this truth has already been explained in verses 1 to 4 about the shepherd-like nature of the elders and the leaders and the pastors and the bishops and the overseers of the church. This applies to some other people as well. It's the same truth. And he particularly points out, first of all, young men, younger people. And I want to say this, and I say it from a point of failure within my own life, and hear my heart in this. Young men, you are the shepherds in your families. Older men, you are the shepherds in your families. Husbands, you are the shepherd over your wife. Granddads, you are shepherds over your, your, your grandchildren. Be careful. Walk humbly. Understand that it's in that anointing that God enables you to minister in that way too. When I started to read this earlier in the week, I said, God, why did you give me this passage? I'd rather not preach on it because it challenges my heart too much as well. But that is the journey that Peter is going on in this chapter. And if that is not awful enough, he then says, yes, all of you be submissive to one another. And the general understanding of this is he's widening it out to the whole church. We all should be submissive to one another. Bowing down 
and washing each other's feet. Following the example of Jesus, regardless of what the sins of the people were, he welcomed them. He had meals with them. He didn't shun them. He didn't discipline them. Sometimes he spoke very uh, clearly to them about what they should do, but he always showed that love for them. And this is a word that is not just for the elders, bishops, pastors, whatever they may be. This is, a, this is a word from 1 Peter that changes the way you live in your house, with your wife, with your children, with your grandchildren. Whoever it is you share life with, we are to be submissive to one another. Ephesians 5, chapter, verse 11, I think it says, be submitted to one another in fear of God. Not in a frightened fear, but in the way that we understand that even Jesus, even Jesus lived under submission to his heavenly Father. I won't say anything. I won't do anything. I won't go anywhere. I'll wait four days till Lazarus is dead. But I'll only go when the Father says go. I tell you, I'm a billion miles away from that sort of submission to God. Maybe you're closer. But that's what it means to live in a servant-like way. To be obedient to the higher authority, which is God, to the greater accountability that we have before him, which is exactly why we read in there, how can we live like this? We humble ourselves before God under his mighty hand that he might exalt us, casting all our concerns upon him. For he cares, he loves he tenderly holds. He watches over you. He sees that potential that he placed in your life when you were formed in your mother's womb. And he says, I'm not going to let go of that vision. I'm not going to let it go. Whatever they've done, wherever they've gone, however disobedient or obedient they've been, I'm not going to let go to what I saw when they were put together in their mother's womb. That's the shepherd-like quality of, uh, of Jesus. And he looks for that in you and me as we submit to one another in that particular way. And I believe the evidence over the years as we look at all sorts of Christians in all sorts of different circumstances, those who have suffered greatly for the faith, is that those who take on that role of submission to the chief shepherd following the leaders and bringing the leaders of the church into their thinking, into their understanding, into their praying, and determined to live the servant-like life. They are the ones who, like a Duracell battery, go on and on and on. The ones who are undecided, I'll be obedient when it's convenient, I'll be submissive when I can be, make the decision according to the circumstances are generally those that God in the end puts limitations around how they can live their lives. This passage tells us 
that not only does our chief shepherd, Jesus, live as a serpent, a servant, but our under-shepherd and shepherds, pastors, bishops, leaders, elders, they should be living in that context too. But it goes on to say, men, I know within the culture, you could argue with me, well, within the culture at this particular time, of course, men were very important in the way that they lived. The women didn't have a particular role. We can go through that argument. Well, I can listen to all that, but bottom line is this. God has an order. And it's either scripture or it's not scripture. God always, God either knows the right way and the best way to live, or his desire is that all people live in a servant-like attitude. And the final thing I want to say is this, is those last few verses there from verses 8 to 11 say that within this calling, this structure that God has placed, that we can only live with his help and by the power of his Holy Spirit, he calls us to be steadfast, not to be double-minded. And you know, I do believe, and, and, and I'm and putting, you know, whenever you, whenever you say anything, I'm, I'm very conscious of the way that I fail in this. I'm too often double-minded in my life. I'll do the things that God requires me to do when they are convenient to me, but not when they are inconvenient to me. But it's quite clear within the context of those last few verses there that the enemy, we have an enemy. Let me just share this with you very quickly. Uh, is that within the context of some of my speaking in India, I was asked to speak at a conference. I had five sessions. I was the, well, I was the only speaker in the conference because of very remote very, very remote. And uh, they said, we want you to talk about the journey of developing a church. That was basically what it was. And as I prayed and prepared for it, the thing that kept coming back to me all the time was I need to tell these people, if they want to do God's will within the context of the church in that particular area, there will be a fight. There will be those who will be for them and there will be those who will be against them. And actually... I shared two sessions on that. I don't really know why I shared two sessions until the pastor came up to me and he said, I've never heard it expressed like that before. And he said, that's where we've fallen down. We don't pray enough as a church. We don't put on the armor of God sufficiently. We don't see that there is an arch enemy who says no to the things of God. I'm not saying that to boast myself up, I'm surely not. I just felt well, this was, I had to put it in there. But there's lots of Christians. There may be even some here this morning who don't realize that if we are to really be effective for Jesus, there's a fight. And we need to be steadfast. What does Peter say? Be sober. Be vigilant. Be watchful, he's saying. Be self-controlled in the way that you behave. You have an enemy, an adversary, the devil, who walks around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the whole world. But may the God of all grace who called us in his eternal glory by Christ Jesus afterward, after you have suffered a while, perfect you, establish you, strengthen you, settle you, that you will know that ultimately he will win.
And the question to me, for myself, is this, how steadfast am I in the things of God? Or is it a matter of whim for me? Just when I feel like it or when I don't feel like it. There was a person, world famous person, and this is his story, and with this I must draw to a close. He failed in business at the age of 22. He ran for the legislature in the United States and was defeated at the age of 23. He failed in business at 24. He was elected to the legislature at 25. His sweetheart died at 26. He had a nervous breakdown when he was 27. He was defeated as a speaker of the, uh, the government there at 29. He was defeated for the electorate in fact, age 31. He was defeated for Congress at 34. He was elected for the Congress at 37. He was defeated for the Congress when he was 39. He was defeated for the Senate when he was 46. He was defeated for Vice President of the United States of America at 47. He was defeated for Senate when he was 49. And at 51, he was elected as president. Now, you all know who I'm talking about, don't you? Abraham Lincoln. One of those famous presidents that the United States had. But he didn't stop when failure came. He kept going back. They're not sure all about what he believed concerning God, but he had some faith. But he kept going. He was steadfast because he knew that his calling ultimately was to lead the nation. And of course, he brought it through some amazing, challenging circumstances in the uh, 1800s, wasn't it? There's suffering involved in the journey, but we are called to be steadfast. And when we're steadfast, eventually God will come through. Two weeks ago, I was preaching in a place called Nongstoy. It's uh, nearly 100 miles outside in the Kasi Hills. Uh, you get off the road, which they call a main road. We would call it probably a B road. You turn onto a track, first a uh, few miles, had a bit of tarmac on it. The rest of it was potholes. And uh, by the time I arrived, about two and a half hours later, I looked like, a, like this. Okay. And I met a guy who really impressed me. His name, his name is Bring, B-R-I-N-G, Pastor Bring. And when he went to this place and started and wanted to plant a church there among people who were in the main animists, some of them had some idea of the Christian faith through other missionaries that had passed through, but in the main they were non-believers. He came across all sorts of opposition. But he applied himself to it. He said, this is where God has called me. I'm going to be there. And that's 15 years ago, 15 years ago. The town council came against him, didn't want him to have any land where he could build any sort of building, however temporary it might be. But he battled on and he got the church. And then he saw that the most important thing in this village was to educate the children. There was no schools. So he started with nine children uh, to teach them just ordinary things, arithmetic, English, a little bit, because they felt that with English they could get on perhaps a bit further in, in life. Now, along this journey, it's a school of well over 500 children. And Pastor Bring 
just humbly says, just knew I had to keep going. Just knew. Just serve the people. Just love the people. Because he said, that's what God put on my heart. And I'm not going to be disobedient. I tell you, I thought, I don't know why I'm here. He could teach me a thing or two, and I can't teach him anything. Folks, where are you in this journey? Acknowledge Jesus is the chief shepherd. Acknowledge that Mark and the eldership, they are accountable for your souls. Be careful how you handle them. Remember that we are to be in submission to one another, to serve into our homes and into our families and into whatever circumstances God places us. And remember, don't give up when it gets tough. The shepherd never leaves the sheep. He lays a cross where the gate would be to protect them, watch over them, and lead them out to the fresh pasture where they might be fed and built up. Wow. I wonder how different any church would be if we even understood just a small fraction of what that meant to live in that way. I'm just inviting you within the context of NCBC. Let's make that a bigger goal in our lives. To be the flock who have the shepherds and to live under that relationship with them and amongst one another that we humbly submit ourselves to God and allow him to do his work amongst us.